Eric, please pray to start us. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, on this day, and we just thank you for each of us here, each person here, uh, especially we thank you for Bob's health and for your word, and that we have people who are devoted in our, in our fellowship, devoted to your word and to understanding it. Please illuminate your word. Give us your Holy Spirit to help us to understand your word and what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome back. Eric. So, today, I want to get to the real big implication of John. We it was, month, it was actually a long time ago when we were here. But we want to talk about John's desire to lead us to faith in Christ. So we did this one, I think, about whenever it was, six weeks ago. But I want to make sure we get it. John nine twelve, And they said to him, where is that man? Remember, the, the man was healed. We're in, we've been in John 9. And that was our walk-through section. And the man, blind from birth, was healed. As we saw, I think, last time I spoke, he hadn't yet come to faith. And a dispute began between the Pharisees and Christ having healed the man because he was being accused of working on Shabbat or Sabbath. And that was always their big issue. And the fact is that Jesus did a miracle. I don't know if you remember. Remember the mud that they rubbed in his eyes may be an allusion to Genesis 2. And I think it really was. And because that would remind them of creation. And they were all agreeing. Never before has anybody born blind been healed. So sight was actually created and one of the arguments was that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. And the second version of describing creation was in chapter 2, had to do with after the Sabbath in chapter 1, the beginning of 2, there was yet creation. Remember the rib bone and all of that? See, the grounding and basis of Western civilization is found in Genesis. He created them. God, there's there's not just one. There's two, the creator and the created. He created them in his image. Human beings have unique status in the created world. We don't evolve. We're not we didn't evolve from microbes. We're not evolving into gods. There's no evolution, macroevolution of any sort. But as we heard last week and in last week, Wednesday night, uh, before that, German idealism from Hegel says everything's evolving, including society. And humans are all becoming one, and there's just going to be one. And I wrote a book about that when I wrote about emergent. That's not true. Male and female, he created them. I saw a debate on TV the other night where people are saying, your kid can go to school, and the school can decide the kid is a different gender without asking the parents' permission. Did you see anybody see that debate besides me? Brian did. We were talking about it. Well, all of the things we need to know are in Genesis and then expounded in the rest of the Bible. God created the world out of nothing. The triune God of the Bible is the creator. Male and female, he created them. God wants categories, not the eraser, erasure of categories. So good and evil don't merge into one. As Eric brilliantly preached last week, I was so glad to be in church and hear a sermon last week. What a joy. God draws out the boundaries of the nations. Am I the only one in Eric and Tom with the other Wednesday night that ever read that? It's in Genesis 7, or I mean Acts 17. God draws out boundaries. God is not angry because there's boundaries. Don't listen to the world. They're lying to you. Okay. 
Humans are created in the image of God. Why is it that we see humans who are creative and, and brilliant and inventive and, and even sometimes they do good deeds, but yet there's this hideous evil that happens. The Bible explains it. Man was created in God's image, which explains the good we see in the world, but fallen, Genesis 3, explains that this creative ability that God gave us as imagers of God, not little gods, but imagers of God, that's what explains why somebody like this unbelievable, wicked, horrible person in Las Vegas could use all of his brilliance to actually use math to figure out where the bullets are going to land to kill all these people. Why? Well, he's brilliant, but evil at the same time. The Bible explains that. We don't need paganism. We don't need emergent. We don't need German idealism. We don't need all as one. We need to just believe what the Bible said. So Jesus, the creator, did a creative miracle, took a man blind from birth, and healed him. Nobody had ever heard of that. Nobody had ever seen it. And he used mud, and the word there was for anoint. We went over that. And they want to start a Sabbath controversy, and we can deal with that. If you listen to our series on Hebrews, we on CIC Radio, you'll hear us talk about how Hebrews deals with that. Rest is found in Christ. So it says, where is that man? Echinos, demonstrative pronoun, the blind man in verses 6 and 11. Where's the man? Where is he? Now it's talking about Christ. So that theme began in 7 11 and then continues into John 20, 13 through 15. Somebody look that up. John 20, 13 through 15. And we'll have somebody read that. That's where this is going. Got it here? We got our mic man back, so now all is well. I tried to get to the scripture, and she beat me to it. So, John twenty thirteen through fifteen. Did you say thirteen through fifteen? Okay. Then she said to to her woman, "Why are you weeping?" She said to them, "Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him." Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Yeah, there's a theme in John, where is the man? And... In the end, John brings all of that together. Where is the man to show that Jesus is God? What is his identity? He's foreshadowing to show how this man comes to faith, and we ought to. And we'll see that a bit in another slide. John 9, 35b through 38. I'm using the Lexham English Bible. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Where is the man? Who's the Son of Man? Who is Christ? There's an identity issue. He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So here's Jesus asking the healed man if he believed in the Son of Man. Okay. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is speaking with you. And he said, I believe, Lord. And he worshiped him. He worshiped him. How is it that Jesus Christ is described legitimately here as the object of worship? How can that be? Isn't it idolatry to worship a man? But here, it's not. Because who determines the meaning of the Bible? The Holy Spirit-inspired author. And that's what matters. John wants us to know that Jesus is the proper object of our worship. Because he's not a created being. Because John tells us again and again 
that Jesus came into the world. Humans are born. Jesus was born, but John says more than that. He starts with John 1.1. 1, 1. He was with God and was God, face to face with God, pros, pros upon his face. But pros means toward. So here's Jesus, the creator who comes into the world, is born of a virgin, but he's the proper object of worship. And he worshiped him. So now the man who couldn't see physically from birth was healed. And having put the Sabbath controversy to rest for a little bit, they're getting back to the point of who is Jesus? And it says here that he's called Lord. He calls himself the Son of Man. Does anybody know what the reference to Son of Man is and where that came from? Oh, we're going to have to get a lot of coffee ready. Good, good answer. Daniel, the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel's prophecy about the Messiah. Good answer. The physically seeing religious leaders become spiritually blind. So we have a reversal. Now, Brian Beers got the big award for this reading of John 9 because he stumbled on the answer. Remember when you came up with the answer? Stumbled is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, but it was right. Somebody uh, ready to read John nine thirty nine through 41? We'll see reversal. Yes, Eric. John 39, okay. John 9, 39 through 41. Yeah, John 9, verse 39, starting in verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. There's the reversal. There's, that's the whole point of this pericope. Chapter 9 is one big pericope. The point is right there. Reversal. They were supposedly the ones who could see. They were the religious leaders. They were the true Sabbath keepers. They were the ones who made sure Israel stayed pure. And they thought they could see. But because they rejected Messiah, they became blind. And they wanted to be done with him. The man who was born blind, he didn't know who Jesus was, and he didn't come to faith until the end of this section. But he not only became one, ironically, who could see physically, but he became one who saw spiritually and he worshiped the Messiah. Is there any discussion about that? Is that does that make sense to everybody? I hope it does. Do you see what John is saying here? There's such a thing as a judgment of hardening. Now, I know some people... I remember when I first saw this, it was a little hard to process. But let me give you some categories, okay? When we're talking about good and evil, I, when I was so sick I couldn't do much, I spent a lot of time watching debates on TV, political debates. And here's something that people who reject the authority of Scripture do not know, but we need to know. Good and evil are not determined by feelings or human consciousness. Male and female are not determined by feelings or human consciousness. There are things that stem from God having created and God having spoken. Evil has real ontological status. Ontological, that's from the Greek word to be. Evil has ontological reality. So does good. When God is good, his very being is nothing but good. 
Satan and the rebellious angels that fell with him are ontologically evil and they're not going to become good by any means. Human beings are created in God's image but fallen. Before we are restored to that image, Romans 8, Eric preached on that. We need the resurrection, the redemption of the body. But now it's a mixed bag, even for the redeemed. Yes, Brian. The, uh, the progressive Marxists, they like to tell the masses that they, government, can uh, uh, control evil. They can solve the problem, uh, but they're evil. That they're, they're the ones that are evil. Well, so. they want to erase the boundaries. They want to erase boundaries. See, when I wrote my book on Emergent ten, over 10 years ago, it took me so much research to find out what was going on. What are they talking about? What is emerging? And it turned out to be Hegel and his synthesis and his dialectic process from about 1790. Everything is evolving into godhood. And so anybody that says evil is evil, good is good, is themselves the enemy because they're not letting the process happen. So now, Tony Jones, one of the guys that I interacted with, I sent him my book and he gave it to some guys and I went to their conference to talk to the people we're disagreeing with. If you say good is always good and evil is always evil, you're destroying their whole worldview. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's why they're saying you're evil because you're calling evil evil. It doesn't evolve into anything else. It stays that way. Why does the emergent church, now they call themselves convergent, still part of the synthesis. We emerge, we converge, we emerge, we converge. Like this spiral, and then it all comes into there's no more categories other than this Moltman said there's a trinity. Somehow we evolve into the trinity. So, anyhow, here's the deal if good stays good and evil stays evil, but there's forgiveness of sins, they hate you. You can't say that. If there's a heaven and a hell, They hate you to say that because then you have two, not just one. Heaven is heaven, hell's hell, and that's the way it is for eternity. Well, you can't say that because then you just destroyed the Hegelian synthesis. Does that make sense? I just want you to understand what you're hearing on TV. If somebody says God draws out boundaries, then they're, quote, evil. Yes, Eric. Well, I'll just try to jump in a little bit, too, to encourage people. But, you know, what it seems like is that, you know, Jesus knew the heart of man. And man has a problem with pride. Man does not want to admit he's a sinner. Right. Man does not want to admit that he's not a god unto himself. And it seems like the point of this this, uh, incident is that, you know, those who were given much which were the Pharisees. They were given the word of God. They were given the responsibility. They were given all of this, and yet they let their pride conquer them. They let their pride conquer them, and they turned their back on the living God. And so Jesus, in compassion, came, fulfilled prophecy. He healed the blind. I think it's prophesied in the Bible. It's in there somewhere. (laughs) That that he would heal the blind. He came and did exactly those things, which is why that blind man worshipped him. But he took the, the plain and the humble, and he showed mercy to them. And I guess one of the lessons for us is that we should not be too prideful that by the grace of God, we've been given faith. Amen. And we need to be Amen. kind, and to, I think Eric pointed this out in a sermon. It was either last week or the week before, that to the extent that we are able, that we should, that we should uh, be at peace with all men so that we are not a stumbling block Amen. to the gospel. The gospel is enough of an offense to people anyway. Right. So we need to be able to present it and not get in the way of it. Absolutely. And uh, so there's a lot of lessons here with the pride and all of it. I understand that. And I was just thinking about Nebuchadnezzar. 
and I'm thinking about after being knocked down so badly with all these diseases and problems and treatments and all this stuff, and I got really irate. Then I thought about Nebuchadnezzar because I needed to repent. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? What did he say when he finally learned his lesson? God knows how to humble those who walk in pride. And I thought, now I can't drive, and I have to be driven around. After, on the farm, you start driving at 12 up and down the dirt road, okay? And I just had to think about that. You're right. That's what, that's what we tend to. And we have to stop and think, why am I so upset? What's the problem here? God knows how to humble those who walk in pride. I'm not serving God because I'm smart, I'm talented. I'm only serving him because a wicked, blasphemous sinner like me was shown mercy. I'll show you a picture before we're done of what was happening in this coffee house when I was a brand new Christian. I've got a picture we pulled out of my mom's paper from way back when that I want to show you. But God showed mercy. I was so angry. I was, I was blaspheming God because my future wife's family and finally her had come to Christ. I was so angry. I, was, I don't deserve mercy. Who here deserves mercy? Nobody. Good point. So the, born, the man born blind believed based on the word of Jesus would heal him. So he didn't become a Christian when he was healed. I've had people say, well, if you healed people, if you had the power of the apostles, they, they're part of the new apostolic reformation. You've got to have power to heal people. If you do that, then they'll become Christian. Well, this man didn't become a Christian until Jesus himself said that he is the son of man. And I am, if you look in the Greek, he said, I am. The man worshipped him. But the people who had the scriptures, Jesus said to those same people in John 5, Moses wrote about me. They studied Moses every single Shabbat, and they didn't come to Christ. They knew who the Son of Man was, supposed to be, the one Daniel prophesied. They knew about all of this. They knew all of it. They studied it over and over, especially the Pentateuch. They didn't come to Christ. They could see, and they were were just sure they were brilliant, and they could see, and they became blind because they knew that Jesus was God, and he was the promised one that he was prophesied in Isaiah because he did heal the blind, but they became hardened. The blind man who knew nothing becomes a Christian. When we study Ephesians, one of the things we're going to find out is that we were adopted into the family of God. Not because God was lacking something and he needed what we had to offer, but because God is a loving and kind and merciful God. I've been thinking about analogies, all of which are imperfect, because God is a different order of being than we are. He's non-contingent. He's eternal. He's the creator. He's non-contingent. His person and nature doesn't depend on anything outside of himself. In in theology, we call that aseity, aseity. One of these times, I'll put up a slide that talks about how that works. After hearing from dozens and dozens of CIC readers, from what I hear, there's really no good, safe place to go to seminary. You got to have your discernment first and then go. And you can still get an education because I did. But I want to give the people the categories that I needed to do writing and to do theology. So I want to do that for everyone who comes to Sunday school when I'm teaching. I want to give you categories. God is non-contingent, eternal, non-contingent existence. Now let's read John 20, 28, and 29. Oh, uh, Thomas, let's, let me give you the context. John 20, 27 Then he said to Thomas, place your finger here and see the word in the Greek says, put it, put your finger here. And by the way, it's an imperative. 
Jesus in the imperative. Put your hand here. Do it. Look at the evidence. Don't believe the critics that say that these things can't be. Put your hands here. We call him Doubting Thomas. That's wrong. He's believing Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, place your finger here and see my hands and my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Again, do not be unbelieving is an imperative. It's a command. So do not be unbelieving. Verse 20, Thomas answers at him, my Lord and my God. Like the blind man before him in John 9, in John 20, now we have another worshiper, another man who confesses that Jesus is God. John 1, 1, John 1, 1 through 18, John 9, John 4, John 20. He is God. So he's believing Thomas, not doubting Thomas. My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed, which is good. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Who's that? You and I. Eventually, there are believers who haven't seen the wounds of Christ ever. The man born blind believed based on the word of Jesus and healed him before Jesus was crucified and raised on the third day. He hadn't seen what Thomas did, but he believed. For this reason, remember how this all started. Remember John 9 when we first started this was this. They asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Remember that question? Jesus' answer shocks people. No one sinned, but in order that the works of God may be manifested in him. Remember that? I have debated people. I I like debate. You might already know that. But um, when I was younger, I did formal debates as well. There are people who literally get mad about this. What kind of God would allow somebody to be blind just so he could heal him later? Because they think the only thing that's worth living for is comfort for a few years in this world. And if you don't have that, then God wasn't just. I've had people tell me that. What kind of God would allow this man to be blind in order to heal him later? So that he would have eternal life and be with Jesus for eternity in heaven as an adopted son of God and be safe and be safe. That's what God did. What kind of God would allow his own son to come into this world and be mocked and hated and ridiculed and told, if you're the son of God, come down off the cross. Who do you think you are? And what kind of God would send his own son to suffer like that? The God of the universe who created us in his image. It's worth it. And we'll know it when we're in heaven. I was thinking, I loved Eric's sermon so much, but they're praising God in heaven for his justice when there's a division between heaven and hell. So the man born blind believed based on the word of Jesus who'd healed him. Let's keep going. John 4, 24. Now we're going to do a review. This will be true when we go through Ephesians. I thought, who better to emulate than Luke, the great writer? I'm not an apostle and I'm not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I can read those who were. But I want to do the same thing with Ephesians. We're going to do reviews and previews. That's how people learn. You get excited when you know there's a preview, something coming. Here's a review. John 4, 24. This, does anybody remember the context of John 4? What happened in that chapter? This isn't a test. It's just a chance to think together. The, this was the woman at the well. And there was a dispute whether Mount Gerizim was the right place to worship. And so there was this big dispute going on. And Jesus said this to her, God is spirit and the ones who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The word must there, I told you about that earlier, day in the Greek is used by John to mean divine necessity. It's necessary that those who would worship God 
worship in spirit and truth. If you're a redeemed sinner, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and you happen to be at Mount Gerizim, you can say, praise God, I'm worshiping the true God of the Bible because Jesus saved me and I'm indwelt by the Spirit. Or you could be at some other mountain and do it. There are people that some have welcomed back from Israel, those who were there. There are people who will fly to Israel to be baptized in the Jordan. You know what? Whatever happens through Christian baptism will happen anywhere that you're baptized. There's no magical place that you have to go. People will go to the Vatican and call their relatives back. Oh, look, this has to be true. Where did God command anybody to make some monuments to the glory of man? I heard yesterday now, this is going to apply to Ephesians, the Vatican is now training people to be exorcists. We're just as pagan today as they were in Ephesians when Paul wrote it. So that what I'm do, going to do when I preach Ephesians is we're going to get our minds into the world Paul's talking about because we're in it right now. Our world is pagan. I get almost one email a day from somebody, almost one a day, saying, I read your article, issue 78. I need a curse breaker or a, a deliverance counselor. What can you do for me? They don't read the whole article because I used to be in that 40 years ago. And so I, I used to sit, click the later articles, but they won't read them. So now I just interact and I evangelize people. I'm running out of time, but it's two or three people have come to the Lord just in the last couple of weeks. Just the last couple of weeks. Say, well, the only way to get away from curses and demons is to come to Christ through the gospel. And when he takes you out, he doesn't take get this demon out here and this curse broke here. He takes the whole person out and now you're blessed. All those who are in Christ are blessed. They have the face of Abraham. He believed God. Are you blessed or are you cursed? People believe they're cursed. How do they know? Well, something bad happened. If you thought you were cursed every time something bad happened, when would you think you're cursed? Every day. The ice out here, the car won't go up the hill, the garage door is frozen shut. The, yeah, I can't can't walk, need a new knee. Yes, Eric. And what would the apostle Paul have thought? Look at all the bad things that happened to him. You know? I know. So but we have people saying that. We have a guy with a great big monster church. We drove by his sign. And he comes on TV every day, winner's minute. And the other day he said, well, and then he, it's all human wisdom. You want to be a winner, then you got to figure this out. So if you're not rich, then you're a loser. Actually, he said that the other day. So I wonder if these rich winners that he's talking to that don't really know Christ, what are they going to do at the final judgment? Hey, I was a winner. No. Yeah, I know. Do you know what happens, though? God will humble us. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. One of the guys who was the most exemplary Christian I ever met in my life, by the name of Harold Snitzes, never drove a car in his life. I thought about him when I was complaining about me. What an ungrateful person I am compared to him. And I used to visit them and sat under their catalpa tree. There was a lady down the street who had a child out of wedlock and had to go to work to take care of her child. And Harold and Hazel, who were very elderly in their 70s, raised that child as their own. And they didn't even have air conditioning in their house. They sat under a catalpa tree all summer. And I've told this story before, but just before Harold died in his 90s, he came to Wednesday night Bible study and the last words I ever heard from him were I failed God in many ways but it's all under the blood. He couldn't even get his head off the table and within a week he died and I, I couldn't help but think if Harold failed God in many ways multiply that by a hundred and that's me. 
He's the most exemplary Christian I've ever run into. But what did he say? It's all under the blood. God forgives sins. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 20, 30 and 31. Now, Jesus also performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Which book? The book of John. But these are recorded in order that, that, in the Greek, that's a purpose statement, in order that you may believe. You got to know this. What's the purpose of John? To bring us to faith in Jesus Christ through what God did in, in his son coming into the world and proving who he is in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. There it is right there. That's the purpose. Who do we worship? Who do we trust? Do we trust man or do we trust God? Do we believe in man? Do we hope to be winners? Or do we want to trust in Jesus Christ who had all of the power and glory splendor of heaven as God second person of the trinity who humbled himself he came into our world became a man and allowed himself to be abused by wicked sinners who hated him do you believe God is the creator John 118 now we're going to do another Review. Reviews and previews. Here's the review. John 1 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This is essential to the message of John. Now we saw the purpose that you might believe. Now we've got the Again, I mentioned this word earlier, the ontological status of the second person of the Trinity. He's only begotten. I've written some articles about the word of faith movement. You know what they say? Jesus either lost his divinity or gave it up or didn't have it. And that anything that Jesus did, we can do too if we just had enough faith. The more wicked a doctrine is, the more it gets exported around the world. So I get emails from people who believe that. So then I email back and say, okay, here is Jesus. Somebody asked me, did Jesus come to show us how he had faith? Jesus isn't the exemplar of faith. He's the object of faith. He doesn't entrust himself to man because he knows what's in man. Do you believe in Jesus or do you claim Jesus became nothing more than a man who somehow had compromised deity, which, by the way, is not deity at all. A seity, we talked about that earlier, non-contingent eternal existence as God exists forever. If some way somehow goes away, then it's contingent and it's not true deity. It can't be compromised. Jesus didn't lose his deity. He didn't lose it on the cross. A heretic by the name of E.W. Kenyon, I have one of his books that I, I pulled out of my heresy library before we threw the rest of it. I couldn't, have, I couldn't bring them all home with me, which is just as well. He said that Jesus went into hell as a man with no more power than you and I, and then he beat up the devil and came back out. That's what Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen did that? Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Here comes the mic. They go further and say Jesus was born again in hell. He had to be born again, the born again Jesus. Well, I researched that many years ago and have written about it. That's why we need to know the definition of God. Only begotten 
means unique one, monogenos in the Greek, uh, the unique one, only one of his kind. Remember that, the unique one, the only one of his kind. Jesus isn't the exemplar of faith. He is the object of faith. Who worshiped Jesus? The healed blind man. Back to our passage here. No one has seen God at any time. Well, there's another issue. I wrote an article about visiting heaven and hell. A man by the name of Jesse Duplantis went up into heaven and claimed to see this, that, and the other thing. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained him. The important word, I was looking it up yesterday, exogeomai, where we get our English word exegete. By the way, when I say that, when I say we get our word from, I say that to make us interested in learning. What we mean doesn't prove what it meant to the author. Okay, etymology helps us, but etymology doesn't determine meaning. Usage does. All we need to know is what John meant by it. The author determines the meaning, but it helps us. And I say it to to make us more interested in it. In this case, it actually does have a a connection in a way. Exogeomai, where we get our word exegete. So what it means is, Explained. It's hard to translate into English. But the only begotten God, God the Son, visibly manifested in history as a real man walking on, in a real place. I wonder why they don't have tours of all the places in the Book of Mormon. Some of you just came back from Israel. You can't take a tour of the places in the Book of Mormon because they do not exist. (laughs) If you're listening to me on the Internet, don't believe these false religions. If you can't get in a plane and go to the places they're talking about, why are you believing this? Mormonism is an obvious lie from Satan. Well, they say, well, Mormons are good people. Look at Utah. They're so wholesome. Fine. That's the fact that we're creating God's image. But if you don't repent of believing blasphemous doctrines that man can be God and God can be man and there's no eternal God, there's nobody that's the real Jesus here, and you believe that, you'll end up in hell. And that is a real place, even though the Book of Mormon describes no real place. Now I'm preaching, sorry. I'm the Sunday school teacher. I'm so frustrated. For, I haven't preached for six weeks or whatever. But it's true. God is not asking us to believe what's not true. He's asking us to believe what is true and what he did. Jesus is God. He comes and walks on the face of the earth demonstrating his uniqueness. He explained I looked at all kinds of translations. Just the word, the Greek word is really so cool. And it, it just reveals in the flesh who God is. God, the son of man, the son of God, that's him. Now, we want to go to Exodus thirty-three twenty. How was it that Jesus was seen? And how is it that it says here no one's seen God? But Exodus 33, 20 says this. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. That was Moses. Have you ever thought of that question before? Jesus is referring to that. Yahweh was there at the burning bush. Remember when Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock? Remember that? upon Sinai that's alluded to here let me read this Exodus 3 4 through 6 and Yahweh this is the burning bush and Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see and God called to him from the midst of the bush and he said Moses Moses and he said here I am verse 5 and he said you must not come near to here take off your sandals 
from your feet because the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Why? Because of the presence of God. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid of looking at God. Do we fear God today like Moses did? Do the people that are you hear on TV fear God? People flippantly talk about it. There's no fear of God, but we should have. But Jesus came to cover our sins with his blood, to make, to adopt us into the family of God, to make us fit to spend eternity with him, not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he did, his great love and mercy. You know what? I got, I had cataract surgery. I can read the clock back there now. I can see. Hopefully I can see spiritually too. I believe by God's grace I do. I give you some verses here. Hello, Bob. Yes, yes, yes. Before we move on here uh, from John 118, and I, I know you're explaining it here, but I think about this all the time. No one has seen God at any time. You know, the only begotten God. Uh, but, and you, you say here, it's about God's ultimate eternal essence as a triune God. You know, we, we, we see Adam and Eve walk with God in, in the cool of the day, right? And yeah. Enoch walked with God. Yes. Moses spoke face to face with God. We have all these references at people, but they don't see him in his true essence. Is that, that's... That's how we, we explain that theologically, and it's the best explanation. I think it's the right one. Because there... In eternity before any creation, God, the triune God of the Bible, existed for all eternity. These religions that people believe are blatantly false because everything created is decaying. That's what, see, when I was a kid, the liberal pastor said there was no miracles or no resurrection but I went to Iowa State and studied organic chemistry and math and physics I came to know there had to be a God because a professor put the chemical formula for a heme molecule up on the board explaining the necessity of carbon as a why life exists on earth by the way people wanting to get rid of carbon are pretty dumb they want us all to die. And I'm sitting there as an unbeliever who wouldn't even go to church. And there I sat. I have to believe in God. That heme molecule did not happen by any accident. Time plus chance does not create order. Entropy is built in because of the fall. Everything's tended toward disorder. When I had to do equations in engineering based on the conservation of mass, conservation of energy. When we did the ones based on energy, you had to put a little small sigma in there that meant entropy. You always lose some. Mm -hmm. You have the potential energy, but it never shows up. Part of it is missing. The rest you can work with. Because of entropy, anybody that's really studied this will have to say even if you believe in billions and billions and billions of years, you still have a finite universe. So God himself exists because the universe is contingent. Yes, Lonnie. Oh, uh, yeah, just interested in what you were saying. But getting back to John one eighteen again, I just kind of noticed... Um, yes. My translation is a little different. New King James. Okay, what's it say? In, in, instead of begotten God, it says begotten Son. Is that? That's a is, manuscript issue. Okay, could could you explain that? Or well, there's a, a debate about what manuscripts are the ones that we should consider correct, and 
if you have critical apparatus, which I do in my logo software, they can tell you what the different manuscripts and which ones had what. Yes, go ahead, Mike. Maybe you have I, the data. I've got a note in my, in my Holman's <laughs> Christian uh, Standard Bible here. It, it says uh, the HSB translation reads son rather than only God. And in my uh, John 1.18 reads no one has ever seen God, the one and only son. And the note is, um, let's see here, which appears in many translations, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the only God. It says, the Theos reading was judged to be an early transcriptional error in the Alexandrian manuscript tradi- tradition, hence the ESB excludes it. That's one. So there's one. a debate about how it read. And so that's fine. We, sh- we want to know the reading because we believe the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But whether you go son or God, there are plenty of other passages in John teaching the deity of Christ. Yes, Ryan. I can't remember if it was you or Eric that was mentioning Hebrews 11. It says something kind of similar. Go ahead. We can talk about it. It's talking about Moses here, spiritual hall of fame. It says in Hebrews eleven twenty six through 27, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And I think when you they were talking on that, it's seen in a different way, like seen as believing. And you know maybe that kind of ties into what we're seeing here, but seeing him who is invisible. Kind of. Seeing him who is invisible, okay. So, when I, some people will get offended when they know there's manuscript issues, but that's because of a wealth. We have so many manuscripts, and they keep getting more and more, and so then there's different readings, and the scholars look for the best one, but none of them are going to overturn our doctrine, okay? Let's, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for kindness and grace and mercy. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for that dear man who was healed in John 9, who came to know you, who will meet in heaven. Thank you for Thomas, who was a believer, who will meet in heaven. Thank you for the woman at the well, who will meet in heaven. And Lord, may many others come to you, because we want to be those who believe your promises and worship in spirit and in truth. And pray for 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 Steve uh, as he preaches to us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.